a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shalaos, Tom Bettis this morning, and we are joined by Liz Hamilton. And you just couldn't get a prettier day, you guys. Blue skies, the air is clear. Oh, my favorite is right after it snows. Yeah, it seems like that the winter is being fought off by spring a little bit finally. You know, we're supposed to be up in the mid to high 50s, I think Tuesday of this week. So slowly it's coming around. We need it. We need that breath of fresh air. I'm going to let Liz take this next question. The texter wants to know, they want recommendations on pruning established lavender plants. And Liz, they want to know when and how much would they be able to prune? Yeah, you can totally start pruning lavender in the fall as it begins to die back. And that way the snow doesn't lay heavy on top of it and break branches down underneath in that woody crown. Um, So in the in the fall, I usually take off the blooms, but I leave the top. And then as the spring comes in, I give it a look and see uh, how much has survived our winters because in certain areas, lavender can be a little marginal or they take a hard hit sometimes. Um, and then I'll take it down to uh, into a nice round ball if I can do that, but never cutting into that woody crown because it won't come back from that area. So usually about one third is what I take down every year. And tonic can be a problem if you take more than that, right? It can because the lavenders are actually more what we would call a sub-shrub. It's somewhere between a perennial and a bigger shrub. And as Liz mentioned, if you prune too far down, it will cause it to have very little to no new growth and it will kill it. All right. Next listener is asking, they say they have a four-year-old peach tree when they prune it, uh, the sucker branch, branches shoot up very quickly and steal the sunshine. Can we keep cutting them down? Well, when you prune on those, you're going to go into the tree and you perform what's called summer pruning. And sometime in late May to June, as those start to pop out, you can take most of them out by just pinching them with your thumb before they really get going. You want to leave some of them to generate new growth. So if you have an area of the tree that's a little more empty that you could use some growth in or areas of the tree that have really old branching or something, but you're going to use some of those for renewal growth. All right. Jeff is on the line in Leighton. Good morning, Jeff. What is your question? Good morning. Hi. Hey, last May, um, planted for blue Atlas cedar trees. Um, about seven feet tall, got them from J&J, um, did really well. They were great all through the spring, the summer, the fall. And now I look at them and they're very, they look like they're dying. They're, a lot of the, the branches have lost needles on them and they're definitely not the color that they had been. And I know, you know, there's probably some transition through the winter, but I'm wondering, um, 
they don't seem to have a lot of new growth on the buds or anything at this point. Are are the trees lost at this point? I guess I'm asking if if it's too early to decide if I should, you know, start considering something else for this area. It's a new yard, or um, if if maybe I should let them go and wait and see type thing with these things. So, any ideas? Go ahead, Ton. Okay. Well, on your blue atlas cedar, they oftentimes will, especially their first year or two, have problems with the needles desiccating or drying out. And so what you'll want to do is just give them time because oftentimes they will re-needle. We also got cold. And those came out of Pacific Northwest where they're never under about 20 degrees. And that's pretty cold for up there. And then you've brought them to Utah to where they're experiencing temperatures to where they're at the threshold of not being cold hardy and they're just not established. And so as long as they were watered last fall and not drought stressed, I think that there is a chance that they will this April or May re-needle. Rebound a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering. Did you get an extended warranty or anything with them or were. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. That's, it was just, they're limited to where, the availability. So I had waited and waited yeah. and waited and got you them. You may want to I... shoot some pictures of them and, you know, okay. contact J&J and just say, hey, I'd like to leave these in the ground. Can, you know, they may be able to work with you a little bit. I know yeah. the lack of availability, but some things to watch for over the next month or so would be new bud growth. And if you're seeing yeah. some buds swell on the branch tips, that's always a good sign. But they're okay. commonly damaged when temperatures reach below five degrees. Okay. Okay. Liz has something there. to add to. Okay. Did you, when you were at planting, did you remove the wire basket and the burlap yep. that was on them? Yeah, I dug. <laughs> I tried to do, you know, two and a half times diameter. I, I had them above ground level about an inch or two just so they, the water wouldn't pool down around the roots. I added in some compost and some all the suggestions that they did for me and we planted i mean this is a new yard so we planted probably 40 trees last year and these are the only ones that are struggling and so i was super happy that every you know i didn't have any loss throughout the whole year even with the drought and whatnot but then winter comes and these four yeah i'm just not looking so good so um yeah, it sounds like you did. It sounds like any... you did everything right. So I think yeah. you you can also yeah. always go out and check the flexibility of the branches, like gently, kind of on the branches that have yeah. completely deneedled. And if they snap, that's obviously not a good sign. But if they're still bendy and you're seeing that bud swell, like Ton said, I think you're you've probably got a good chance that they'll be okay. okay. There's no chance of root rot with all the moisture that we've had on the throughout. You know, I mean, because the ground is just wet all the you know the whole scent this winter and fall and um is there any chance i i wouldn't i mean it's hard, so. to, it's hard to say right yeah on a but, new yeah. on a new planting like that root rot is not on a tree root rot is not super common in that first year and they do that species likes water maybe ton has something more to add but well, i don't, okay. I don't think do you so have pooling water around the bases of the trees no no then it's probably not you know if you were to oh. keep them 
almost swampy wet for a number of weeks that would kill them but let them dry out between irrigations you know now that they've been in they're going to root out some and they're still going to need water probably a couple of times a week and then you can slowly you know get them on more of a once a week deeply if they're on their own system on their third and fourth years but unless you have pooling water at the base they're probably okay okay Perfect. Well, I appreciate the help. Thank you so much. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, both of you on this one, uh, they want to know if you can recommend plants that flower all summer for a north-facing bed. They say it's a bed along their house that gets a few hours of sun every day. Uh, they've had a, they've had success with petunias and alyssum, but they're looking at switching things up, and they're wondering if you guys have some recommendations. Liz, you want to start on this one? Sure. How, say it again. How much sun? North-facing bed gets uh, a few hours of sun every day, and they've had good luck with petunias and alyssum. I so uh, petunias and alyssum like sun. So if there's if they're doing okay there, I'd say you have enough. I uh, would consider Annabelle hydrangeas. Um, they don't start the season blooming, but they once they start the flower heads on them persist through the season and they fade from that creamy white into that uh like lime green and and then they're there for the rest of the year i have some annabelles in part shade at my house and they provide quite a good uh show throughout most of the season um everything else i'm thinking of kind of doesn't bloom all year long but the annabelles do really well for me in that part shade part sun and actually would prefer the shade to the sun too. And there are other hydrangeas, the hydrangea paniculata. I'm trying to remember the common name, but it looks. Panicle hydrangea. Yeah. Panicle hydrangea. There's some newer proven winter varieties out that you can get in pink. And the Annabelle, does your Annabelle fade to kind of a pink? It doesn't it? Nope. It stays. So that's stays hydrangea. White. I'm trying to think of the common. I can't think of the varieties of the same species as Annabelle, but there are several paniculata and the, what is Annabelle hydrangea? I'm I'm doing the same thing. I can't remember. I'll look it up really fast. But there, you've got to be careful with hydrangea. You want to avoid hydrangea macrophylla. And I'm using that Latin names because macrophylla is big leaf hydrangea. And it is one that just seems to struggle in our climate a lot more than the Annabelles and the Panicled Hydrangeas. And the Annabelle is Hydrangea arborescens. Arborescens, thank yeah, you. I having trouble. So there are some arborescent variety, arborescence varieties out there that will come out white and then fade to pink or it'll be more of a pink color. I'm, yeah, there's a couple called Mauvette, like Hydrangea arborescens, uh, Mauvette or Mini Mauvette, or, and they actually do come out pink. The basic Annabelles... Um, are or like incredible is another that's a proven winner's one um they just stay white and fade to lime green i'm wondering they are, excuse yeah, me these, hy- these hydrangeas are the tried and true hydrangeas for utah yep okay i'm wondering if they were actually looking at annuals rather than perennials so what would be some suggestions for uh annuals that would do well new guinea impatiens will tolerate both sun and shade and are a little bit more durable than the old-fashioned impatience that we use. That might be one. Um, begonias. I can't speak highly enough of begonias. They are, and a lot of, like, I think uh, people kind of think of those old 
ones that you can get in the six pack for like $2 and they stay kind of small and they have their really small blooms. But there's been so much, so many leaps and bounds just recently in begonias because people were seeing how they can just handle all kinds of different environments, sun, shade, part sun, part shade. And um, they actually handle our drought really well and they love the hot summers. There's a whole line for improvement winners that just came out. Um, Surefire, I think is what it's called, the Surefire Begonia Series. They have huge blooms, enormous leaves, and they just powerhouse through shade and sun. I'd highly recommend. I I grew them last year to trial them in my own yard because I wanted to see if they'd make it, and they performed beautifully. There's also some dragon wing types that do really well here too. Okay, any others, Ton? Well, those are – I'm hesitating a little bit because of that – north exposure because i'm wondering if it's maybe like a northwest where it's getting a little more sun because of the petunias but i i am hedging a little bit because i don't have a great idea of the actual amount of sunlight there and so we've Mm -hmm. both been veering towards things that will go just fine on five or six hours of sun a day and for annuals begonias the new guinea impatiens would be the main ones. You know, they might get away with coleus is another one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Coleus, it doesn't bloom, like, but you can add so much color with, there. would be and Such awesome. beautiful leaves. Mm-hmm. All right, we need to take a break. The number to call and the phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for being with us on this beautiful Saturday morning. Maria, Ton, and Liz with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Next texter says, when can they give their knockout roses a good trim, Ton? Well, knockout roses are more of a bush or shrub rose that blooms most of the summer. They're actually quite spectacular uh plants or roses easy to maintain and so what i would actually recommend doing is if they're not too old just give them a light haircut and that will force a lot of new growth and a lot more blooms if they're getting too big then go in and you're going to have to wear a good long sleeve shirt that's thick enough to stop the thorns And I would go in and remove about 20 to 25% of the branches, just the biggest branches, cut them toward the inside and the base of the shrub and just remove them here and there and then give it a very light haircut. But the knockout roses are pretty nice because they bloom off that new growth. And if they're getting a little big for several years in a row, you just give them a haircut and, but you need to be careful that you don't over prune them because you will, cut a lot of their uh, leaf producing buds off and so every two or three years you want to go in and do some renewal pruning 
Uh, Liz, next listener wants to know, they are, want you to talk about using blue hubbard as a trap crop for squash bugs. They're, a plant, they're thinking of planting one in a large container about 12 feet away from their regular garden. Yeah, I can totally discuss that. I, so when I used to work on a farm, um, we actually used blue hubbard as trap crop there. And uh, I will say it, it does work. They absolutely love blue hubbard squash. They'll be covered. Um, but it can also attract those squash bugs to your yard too. So something really important to remember when you're using trap crops is that you need to be scouting those trap crops regularly for that infestation and removing them. So remembering to go out and uh, dump soapy water at the base of that plant so that the, all the squash bugs crawl out and then however your preferred method of doom is for that for that insect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make sure you're using that regularly because if you just plant the trap, the trap crop and then you walk away from it, all you're doing is sending out a beacon that lunches here and you're not actually taking care of the problem. So yes, it works. And it works well, but you have to remember to be utilizing the trap crop as um, as a trap. So. Okay. We have just a couple of minutes before the top of the hour news. Let's take a call from Jim in Riverton. Good morning, Jim. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have uh, several, uh, probably five or six uh, lilac bushes, and, and they grow tall, and they look pretty healthy with green leaves. However... Uh, I never get any blossoms, and I know there's a special way to prune those, and I've never figured it out correctly. Prune out the old, leave the new. Uh, most of the new comes from the base. And, um, you know, I'm just at a standstill on how to prune those things. <laughs> this year, I would leave them alone and see if they bloom. Is, you know, because last year, if you just gave them several haircuts through, the, like, are you hedging them, or how have you been pruning I've been pull, I've been pruning out to anything that's dead, and that's pretty much it. I'm not really topping them. Uh, okay. I know there's a lot of green growth that comes from the base, and I don't. I understand I'm supposed to leave that alone, but I. Uh, what about the old uh, stems that are still alive? Well, this may, if they don't bloom, especially, I would go ahead and just take out about one third of the branches. Those big old branches, just take them out as close to the base as you can get them and mm-hmm. let that new growth take over. Don't trim it. And then because the lilacs produce flowers off one-year-old wood, and if you trim them in the middle of the summer, then that will cut the flower buds off. And so leave the, the new growth alone and see if it blossoms. So the one-year-old wood that looks healthy, uh, leave that alone. Yes, and you're taking out, you're using a technique called renewal pruning to where right, you're taking yeah. out four- and five-year-old branches. Yeah, I've heard of that. And so, um, but you do that just as soon as the lilacs are done blooming. Oh, after the blooming, okay. And a real quick question about Simplicity Rose Hedges. I've got quite a few of those, like 40 of them, and I prune out the dead stuff each year, and I, I kind of trim them down from the top because they get about five feet tall. And um, I fertilize them. And the, uh, is there, do I do renewal pruning on those as well? You certainly can. You need to be a little bit more brave, but you certainly can. And then give them a light haircut. Yeah, I've fallen into them a few times. And that was a fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, that answer, I appreciate your show. Thank you so much. All right, Jim. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Maybe we can answer this question in 30 seconds. Tana, the person knows how to deal with the white flies on their grapes uh, once they get them, but they're saying, is there any way to prevent them? Well, it's grape leaf hopper, and they could try doing a dormant spray when the grapes are still dormant in late March. That may help, but they may need to veer toward standard recommendations of maybe if they're trying to be reduced risk of using horticultural soap, you can use a systemic on the grapes, but a lot of people don't like to do that. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.